Welcome back to another episode of the Exterminatus Podcast, all things competitive in the world of Warhammer 40,000. My name's Eric, with me is my co-host Ray, and my co-host Robert. Oi. So, first of all, happy holidays to everyone. Hope everyone had an enjoyable Christmas since the last time we talked to you guys. Anything uh, particular to the hobby related to this past Christmas for you guys? Well, I got a spray box. Ooh. Yeah, airbrushing inside now. <laughs> oh, I've been airbrushing inside for like the last two months. <laughs> <laughs> for those of you wondering, it's been freezing, Arctic cold here in the Phoenix area. I think it got down to 50 degrees at one point. <laughs> like 42 one night. <laughs> Bitter cold. Oh, unbelievable. I had to wear pants. Couldn't believe it. <laughs> or maybe that was a state ordinance. I'm not sure. But anyway, I had to wear pants. <laughs> Yeah, no, the, the spray box is, is kind of obnoxious. It has the loudest fan that I've ever heard. But, I mean, it's made to evacuate paint out a window. So, that's, can't, can't complain. Not complain. That sounds really cool. Ray, how about you? I haven't really had any real chances to do much of any hobby progress of any kind. Working, working, working. Working. <laughs> Yeah, busy time of year. I thought this Christmas was rather significant in the fact that I got a lot of hobby stuff, but not a single miniature at the same time. And by that, I mean, I got a Warhammer calendar. I got a Warhammer bug. I think I even got like Warhammer t-shirt of some kind. It was just finally Games Workshop woke up and realized, hmm, licensed products might actually make us some money. <laughs> And it was really cool. I'm really excited for my bug. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, to be honest, I'm a little upset that I didn't try to order an ugly Christmas sweater like halfway through the year, so I'd have it for this time. That's of right. <laughs> we'll be glad you did not order a uh, squig plushie, as those have been recalled to do a safety notice, which I thought was. Yeah, I mean, I was just what it was from what specifically what it was that made it need to be recalled. Um, from what I was able to find out, I think it was something like the little, like the little ornaments or some, or some plastic piece that could come off of it and potentially be a choking hazard or something. But I don't yeah, know. I didn't give it away from your kids basically. So, but anyway, yeah, I've got a whole bunch of like all kinds of little merchandise from the good old GW. So I can, yeah, now I'm rocking this pretty cool coffee mug that changes colors depending on the heat of the liquid that I have in it. So I'm very excited. So but that's not all. I hope you guys also got some gift certificates of some kind or just uh, for future purposes as Games Workshop has completed their advent calendar as we've been covering throughout the week as well as the secret source on Fayette 212 has been adding his two cents to what's coming up in the future. But I about to say, Eric, if you're still talking, your mic just cut out. You sit on the mute button. Awesome. <laughs> I went to lean forward to my screen. There we go. So yeah, we'll start with the official sources first. We have a new box set. Ray, you want to tell us about that? Yeah. How's about uh, the name of it is Eldritch Omens. So it is a box of Assyriani or Craft World Eldar. And Whatever flavor of Chaos Space Green you so choose. It is, of course, <laughs> the vanilla. <laughs> so, the first model they showed off was a new 
Autark, which actually has op- weapon options that you can put on it, which is neat. It's also on foot as opposed to the one that's got the the wings. So, again, it's a new option. Then, Plastic Rangers, which are a nice addition. These include a new little model that come with them. I think they called it Kurnos. I remember seeing somewhere what the name of it was, but I'm not going to go searching through the actual words right now. Yeah, some little statue like we saw with Incubi. It's like, what am I supposed to do with this? But uh, looks cool. Yeah. And then we also have a, well, a biker version of them, basically, called Shroud Runners, which is exactly what the Eldar need. Snipers on jet bikes. <laughs> I love how they casually mention, well, of course, they're on a uh, Raptor class jet bike. I'm like, we don't know what a Raptor class jet bike is. This is something new. <laughs> so they look really cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And going up against them are the forces of chaos, starting with the new plastic warp smith, which I do believe is roughly half the preview pictures we were seeing leading up to this point. Um, the ones that didn't have to do with them, I'm actually fairly certain all had to do with the next group of models, which is new Chaos Chosen. Yay! Hopefully this time they actually get around to releasing them independently of any kind of box set. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. One can only hope, but yeah. <laughs> As a guy who ran Chosen Wing back in 5th edition, had to convert every single model. And then, what was it, Dark Vengeance they came out with and never released them? I was like, oh. Yeah. And, of course, that uh, that side rounds out with a uh, kit that makes either the Forge Fiend or the Mauler Fiend. And several of the pictures feature what I originally thought was an original new terrain piece, but it really isn't. It's the... Looks like a kit bash between two Noctolith crowns to make a full circle, and looks like uh, something from Age of Sigmar, the some those oscilloscope gyroscope yeah. thing. So, yeah, it's two Noctolith crowns, and then the penumbral engine kind of shoved into the middle. Yeah, which means that that is one expensive piece of terrain because I believe it's sixty dollars for each Noctolith crown. And I'd say roughly fifty for that piece in the middle too. So we're talking one hundred and eighty dollars for one piece of terrain. No matter how cool it looks, it might be a little out of some people's price range. Yeah, just a tad. All I know is that's obscuring. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I really like this box set. There's a lot. I mean, sixteen models. Fifteen of them are new. And then the the one old model is still a you know one that I don't think a lot of players have a lot of. And um, the Forge uh, Fiend had gotten a big glow up in the more recent issue uh, updates. So this could be really cool. So I'm I'm looking forward to pre-ordering this as fast as I can. This is pretty cool. Yeah, when I look over the new Artark model, it gives you either a spear or chainsword, and then apparently four different wing ranged weapons which one of them looks like a shuriken pistol one of them looks like an 
gun. They borrowed so, a Reaper launcher from gun? a Dark Reaper. And <laughs> yeah, yeah the Reaper launcher. Gun. Yeah, yes. that's right, Ray. So yeah. What was the fourth I, one? I'm newer to Aldar. Oh uh, no, it it just says four ranged weapons in the other. It doesn't oh. show the other one. I thought you might have actually seen a picture involving the fourth one. Okay. No, no, I wish I did. <laughs> actually, says specifically certain other still secret options in terms of weapons. I'm like, oh, okay. Oh, this person can carry a bright lance. Uh. What? <laughs> da- damage D. Ah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I I know I definitely want to continue my Eldar curiosity with this box set with someone, but that's a um a slow grow thing for sure because <laughs> I want to actually get the book first and see how much see if I can handle the supposed level of brokenness that this army will have. Yeah, I actually well, really love the uh, the aesthetic of the craft worlds. My biggest issue with is just all the fine cast that's involved in the army and hopefully this is going to show that you know it's just the start of them getting rid of it entirely in that faction so well let's see just how broken they're going to be according to this rumor gentleman who's been posting on Fayette 212 every day of advent the last uh, few days leading up to Christmas has not changed so starting with Howling Banshees, apparently they're going to be upgraded to Strength 4. Uh, they also get a plus 1 to wound when they charge, and they're minus 1 to be hit in close combat. They still ignore Overwatch and have Advance and Charge. And they also have an ability that makes everybody fight last. Ooh. Striking Scorpions, on the other hand, will also be Strength 4 with plus 1 Strength Chainsword. So I guess altogether they're Strength 5, if I read that correctly. They will deal mortal wounds on unmodified wound rolls of six. Chain blades are AP minus one. Exarch's biting blade will have additional attacks and is now AP minus two. And the Exarch's sustains assault ability is now an unmodified exploding sixes to hit. Uh, Night spinners continue to be AP minus two, like which is similar to what we saw with the. Uh, Warp Spiders, and then if they roll sixes to wound, of course, that becomes AP minus four. This one's a little confusing. The Fire Prisms keep their multiple firing profiles, okay, but the double shooting is now just baked into their shots. So they used to have, if you don't, they shoot once if they moved, and they move less than six inches, I think it was, they got to shoot twice. So I'll be curious mm-hmm. to see if Imperial Guard have the same thing, because Lehman Russes had that same ability as well. Yeah, I originally thought Lehman Russes were the the origin of that kind of rule of just, oh yeah, no, move half distance, I get to fire my executioner twice. Yeah. yeah. And also some of the Tyranid larger monsters, I think the Tyranifex has that ability as well. So, interesting. And yeah, the Exocrine had that as well, so curious if they get that changed. Mm-hmm. Anyway, the Lance Profile, surprise, surprise, will be a D3 plus 3. The Focus Fire one will be flat damage 2, and then the Disperse Profile remains the same. We already knew Wraith Lords would be getting a minus one damage uh, with all other Wraith units. The Wraith Seer, wow, it's back from the dead, are also getting minus one, but you have to wait for the FAQ, which will hopefully drop right after the Codex drops. So what you're saying is 
I have an excuse to run an, almost an entirely Wraith army. You do. Um, I'd be curious to see if they restore the Wraith Seer back to being a character in an HQ slot, or is it just going to be another continue to be like a Wraith Lord with a psychic ability? I don't know. But yes, you could run an entire Wraith army if you wanted to. All right. Minus one damage almost all yeah. over the place. Yes. Craftable Thick City. Here it comes. Um, the Avatar. Big conversation about this. He has two attack profiles, one being strength 14. Holy cow. The other one being strength 7, um, which is his cleaving attack. Uh, D6 plus 2 damage on its main hits with a range attack being like the Void Dragon Necron beam attack. I cannot for the life remember what that does. Um, what the Void Dragon does is it's it actually works just like Martyrian's Lantern, where you draw a line from your target that you want to shoot at to the Void Dragon, and you hit everything in the line. But it's only like one shot or something like that. Okay. Thank you. Uh, loses feel no pain, but has a 4-plus invul, takes half damage, and uh, the uh, stratagem can fight on death. And then it has an aura where you can charge, uh, reroll charge rolls, but it's only limited to core models. So I'd be really curious to see who has the core keyword among the aspect warriors, because that's one of the main reasons you ran him. He's 270 points, so he's still a pretty big investment. But he's looking at uh, movement 10, weapon skill with skill 2, base strength 7, T8, 14 wounds, which tells me he's like bloodthirster size. Seven attacks, leadership ten, and a two-up armor. So, two. yeah, that that stat line—that's just a little bit bigger than Gazgul. That's an interesting comparison. Yeah, didn't think of it that way. Yeah, he had the avatar. If that stat line is true, has two more wounds, same base strength, and same same saves. But Gazgul also has the advantage of. He can't be one shot unless you're the Nightbringer. Right. Yes, he's got that no more X number of wounds for um, phase. So interesting. If you're saving your money up for Corsairs, you might want to wait till the Kill Team box comes out because that's when they will come out. Uh, also, there's rumor about a new Harlequins unit. Yeah, that'll also come out in Kill Team, but. Um, no details yet what that will be or how that relates to 40K at this point. This is where things get really off the rails at this point. In that Kill Team's box set, you will also see a Kill Team for squats. That's right. The dwarves are back. <laughs> oh, gosh. Dang it. <laughs> I finally get to see what these god dang things look like. <laughs> yeah. So I, it's... I don't know. I'm kind of mixed on this. I get the nostalgia... And I really felt bad for squat players when it happened. But on the other hand, I'm like, your army sucked, dude. <laughs> it was, and they, they freely admit, you know, why'd you guys do it? So it was not our finest moment. And then they further screwed people over by deleting the codex altogether without warning. And that happened to me in another game system. And I know what it feels like. You're like, I literally have a painted army that I cannot use. I'm like, what the hell am I supposed to do with this? It's, it's a, not a cool feeling, but I'm also, who knows? Maybe when you look at what Jakari looked like back in, was it fourth edition? They were in the box set with 
Black Templar, they looked terrible. And then you get the whole revamp, they looked awesome. Maybe the new Demiurge slash squats will look really cool. Who knows? And speaking of that old box set, Eric, they're actually bringing that back for a limited yeah, time. Yeah, Ray sent me the link, and I was like, oh, that's really cool. Then I looked up, oh, yeah, those are butt ugly. Holy cow, this is like a high school yearbook coming back to me. Oh. I honestly think those old Cobblelight models look really nifty. They can be the first guys to die in your squad. But well, I've got 70 of them if you're interested. <laughs> Maybe for my... Maybe for my narrative stuff, I'll yeah. borrow a few. Oh, my God. But uh, So that is the uh, new model range, but there's also a whole lot of new events. So last week, Robert and I went over the Frontline Gaming event circuit. Games Workshop had their open events this past year for the first time in forever. Name that Disney movie. Uh, 2022, they're back. Robert, what have they got offering up so far? Well, um, the thing that perplexed me is both of these are happening in April. One is at the start of the month, and this is a team event. So team events are becoming the norm, which is a good thing to see. But then at the end of the month, they're also doing a singles event. They're doing these specifically at Warhammer World. So you kind of have to fly across the pond to get it, but you'll have an excuse to be at Warhammer World for two days. <laughs> now, hopefully the quarantine rules will be a little more lax by then. Yes. Hopefully. Are you a gamer that has more bare plastic than you have time to paint? Do paintbrushes spontaneously combust when you hold them? If either of these is true, contact White Crow Studios and get your models painted by a college-trained professional painter. You can contact Bo at whitecrow.commissions at gmail.com and view his previously painted models at White Crow Studios on Facebook. Yeah, so the team event is from digging through the player packet that is available. Uh, it's teams of four. Yeah, very odd that they're doing it that way, but um, okay. Yeah, usually have an odd numbers. Threes, fives, sevens yeah. are pretty lot more common. Because um, the WTC, they have like eight-person teams or something. Oh, I forgot how big they were. They're, they're huge. That was one thing I looked at. I'm like, do you really need that many combinations? But okay. Uh, a lot of the players say yes, because then you get into that. You know, Kind of like if you look at the last team event, the FLG one. Everybody brought Drakari army. Everybody brought an Admech army. Everybody brought either sisters or orcs. I think that's orcs was just come out at that point. And then it was like, okay, that last army is kind of like your swing boat. And it's usually yeah. gray knights. <laughs> so the idea is that, okay, you'll bring, you know, with more art, with more players, you'd bring deeper depth into your list. But it, if you go into how they set up, which, which factions count as what per player, <laughs> good luck. <laughs> yeah. But, um, so for both the team, and the singles event. The most important bit that gives us kind of a glimpse of what's going to happen, they are going to be using the 2022 GT book. So ex you can expect the GT book to hopefully be out before April. So it sounds like they're coordinating the release date with the ITC schedule, which is actually very promising. So that's really cool. So 
uh, have to get together with our team because uh, the Scorched Earth Open event, which tickets are on sale now via the Arizona Game Fair. Check that out at their website is um, in March. So hopefully we'll have the rules packet out before that because that would suck if they came out like right before the new mission started. That would suck. <laughs> well, the, the rules cut off date. Oh, no, that's just for submitting your armies. So because their army submission cutoff date is the 27th. Um, there is no stipulation on when the 2020 the GT book is actually going to be released, but with any sensible kind of thing, it's like, oh yeah, two-week cutoff notice for rules. So the other thing that really jarred me when you started reading off is uh, traditionally at both the ATC, which is the American Team Championship, WTC, which has been well, split off. I forgot what the new name is for it. European. I forgot they have a new name for it. Yeah, World Tournament Championship, yeah. whatever. And um, they have all simply said, okay, for example, you may only have one of each faction on your team. So, Suryani can only have one Suryani player. Drakari can only have one Drakari player. What we've traditionally done is also said Space Marines, all one codex. You can only have one Space Marine player on your team. That's a little different here at these GW events. Yeah. So what they've decided to do is they went, if a player in your army has a following faction keyword in their army, it can't be used again. So like, for instance, you have someone that goes, oh, Space Marines. Well, Space Marines isn't the keyword you're watching for. It's what chapter it belongs to. So at that point, you could legitimately have a team of four people with Dark Angels, Blood Angels, Ultramarines, and Iron Hands, if you really wanted to. Kind of crazy. Definitely expands things out a bit. Uh, the Demon Summoning rules also maybe a little hint of what's to come as well. Yeah, the fact that um, they went, okay, only one player can attempt to summon demons in your entire team. And if someone already has a demons detachment in their army, that player can't summon demons because the entire demons keyword is attached to that other player that has the detachment built into his army. Yeah, that was a bit of a strange one. We ran to that in a team tournament a few years ago because uh, I had demon allies and another player was planning to summon demons and we ran to that same issue that only one of us could play that run the demons at that point for the tournament. But um, hmm, it just seems odd that so I find it interesting that you can't do this. It wouldn't be the same rule for assassins. Um, yes, they actually have some of the most like off the wall keywords like they have um Anathema Psychana, they have Astrocartographer, they have Officio Assassinorum, they have, yeah, no, literally those ones are separate keywords. So, oh, and by the way, the Inquisition is also a separate keyword, so you can only have one player bring an Inquisitor. Well, nobody suspects the Inquisition, so. <laughs> and I, I mean, if you bring Eisenhorn, you just kind of win automatically because he's Eisenhorn. <laughs> what's going on in the meta right now. Eisenhorn for the win. So, awesome. <laughs> and again, we never know might be what might be happening by April. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. Although, I 
this gives me a um aside from the humongous list of available space marines um this their format for teams i actually kind of enjoy because it's very specific of well you can't do these certain things now the de- the demon summoning rule that's like eh but they also intentionally left out any of the god specific keywords they only put it as demon so because you can't just have a nurgle unit or a corn unit it's a nurgle demon or nurgle bubonic astartes like that kind of stuff so they left out that kind of cherry picking but i mean we'll have to see how it plays out come april after well, I think we'll also have, by then, we should have our hands on the new GT packet, so we'll see the rest of the missions that were not shown off at the last um, uh, US Open there, so I don't know, we have a lot more things to look forward to in the next three, four months. We're also looking at three codices, at least, between Dean Sealer Cults, uh, Deptus Custodes, as played by Henry Cavill, and um, Tau, so interesting, 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 interesting. Oh, and Eric, I actually realized something that I missed during over the essentials for these events. You actually have to turn in a physical copy of your list to event staff. Mm. Hard (laughs) copies. Interesting. Anyway, I just noticed that as I was scrolling back over. But I'm still baffled by their singles event, their scoring system there. Yeah, yeah, this is um this is the most confusing thing that I've ever read. And by the way, if you guys want to follow along, it came out on the article this morning. <laughs> so you can get all the details in that. So um the it's super vague in the scoring sheet because at the end of each game, you and your opponent will need to record your results. It should be done on your event scorecard, blah 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 blah. And to determine the winner of each game, use the victory conditions as laid out in the mission. Now, right here, it doesn't specify what kind of missions you're doing. It just refers to major victory, minor victory, draws, and losses. And it's either 3, 2, 1, or 0 points. Which is baffling, because that's the language they use in Age of Sigmar. So did they cut and paste something in the wrong spot? (laughs) I mean, if they did then like whoops so I'm a little confused there and then you also get player votes which you could add to your score I was like what wait what what's going on here yeah so like it's it's one of those things that oh you from looking at it you pick your like you secretly vote for your favorite army you vote for your favorite game you vote for Basically, it's like sportsmanship and painting. Kind of like um, I've seen some people refer to it as like the truly old um, GW events where like sportsmanship and painting like add to your scores and anyone could win that kind of thing. Correct. Like really. So I can I can break maybe. it down for you from days of yore if you want. That was that part of the- <laughs> No, no, I I have most of my orc brain wrapped around it. It's going to take my janitors to clean up the rest of it. But 
it's mostly the fact of this is the opposite side of the competitive coin of just using the GT book for scoring. Yeah, pretty much. So yeah, the way the old system worked was uh, if you went to a three person, three round uh, RTT, your score would be made up of five or six components. So your three games, so whatever you scored in those games, based on and back then they used to do battle points. It wasn't win loss. And then the the fourth game, kind of using air quotes on the radio like a professional. But then again, I did slide on my mute button earlier, so I'm just on on fire tonight. <laughs> So uh, the fourth one was your paint score, and that equaled the same amount of points as winning a game if you had a good paint score. And then your fifth score was three quarters of it was your comp, and then there was like a little bit of wiggle room for I think it didn't quite add up to 100 points for the weekend. So what they would do is they had the pub quiz, and the idea was they would hand that out while the judges and the tournament organizer could figure out who the heck won just to keep people busy <laughs> so they didn't just mill around and look at you know bcp and find out hey did we win or not what's going on so that's how that works so the idea was if you had a well-painted army and you maxed out the comp score so things like um you how did it work out you got extra points for taking more troops, uh, more points if you did not max out your fast attack and heavy support slots. You got extra points if you named your characters. So it wasn't just my Autark, it was Artark, blah, blah, blah. You gave them a name, you know, something cool like that. And you also named your squads. You got extra points for that. And if no more than percentage points was, this is, uh, was used on war gear, and or characters so that's the more point so you could actually walk in knowing that if i comped my army appropriately and got a great paint you know got a paint job from say white crow studios sponsor of the show then i've already won two games out of five for the weekend hmm. that's really interesting that was the old system there so yeah and then there was other systems for sportsmanship and that was always um it was very difficult to police. There were very many, very simple systems and more complicated systems and all that. And, um, but there was always that sort of, Hmm, you know, Ray's doing the best of the three of us. So Robert and I would vote for Ray for best sportsman, just so he could, you know, out, get a little higher in the rankings, even though neither of us played Ray that weekend. So not that you'd have a bad experience playing Ray, but it was, <laughs> Or you do the opposite. You're like, oh, you know, this guy is, this guy could win it. He's kind of a jerk. Well, we just don't want him winning because we want Ray to win. So we're he was a jerk to us. Really? Did you play him? Uh, no, I heard him from three tables away. <laughs> what is it? Yeah, like speaking of that, they actually have those two things in here. It's just simple votes of like, yes, no, yes, no, for your two opponent for your um for your other opponents and stuff like that. But it's just like, okay, we're going off of sportsmanship and painting, not an actual score. It's personal yep. preference. So I, I don't know how to feel about this. Yeah. Um, I know BCP has it in there. So that made it a little more um, controlled that where you could like vote for your favorite player, you know, favorite game or the yes, the thumbs up, thumbs down method. 
uh, I always had a tough time with the favorite player because it was like, yeah, that guy was the coolest of the five games I played this weekend. And you get like, this guy was number two. Oh, I don't remember this guy. That was like, you know, game one on Saturday. <laughs> and then so that three, four, mm-hmm. five ranking was a little harder to, to pick. And um, so, yeah, the simple thumbs up, thumbs down. The nice thing is when you do it on the app, you could be a little more honest about it because that's something that was awkward in the old days. You had to write it on the score sheet. And the guy's like, seriously, mm-hmm. thumbs down? Is there, is there a problem? I'm like, well, you know, you were kind of browbeating me all game. <laughs> And uh, make, make for an awkward experience. But yeah, it's it's really hard to judge. And what is good sportsmanship versus a nice guy? You know? Yeah. yeah. So at that point, um, if by some magic I have the money to go over to England and participate, sure, I would go to see how it was. But otherwise, no, I'll stick to my, my U.S. circuit where we do... <laughs> more competitive-based things. Well, another news, Powerball is over $400 billion today. So go ahead and buy a ticket. <laughs> well, I mean, I would, <laughs> but... So, um, that's as much as I can find about the two actual GW events that are going on in April. It's crazy stuff. So lots of events. Uh, also saw a couple of the other independent events that have released their dates, and already there is um, overlap. Um, so certain big events uh, being held on the same weekends of other big events. Probably the most awkward one is there's two big events in Texas on the same weekend. Yeah, that's um, <laughs> War Games Con and, and Lone Star Open. So a little bit of those uh, whoops moments, and um, if you expecting the uh, ITC to step in somehow, uh, good luck because it was made pretty clear when we had the guys on from BCP. <laughs> Whoever runs the best event wins. So yeah, and I'm I've never been to either of those events, so at, for me it'd be a coin flip of which one I went to. So, yeah, that's the hard part is both are very, um, so one is the newer event, you know, Lone Star Open was first year was last year, but it has the backing of Frontline Gaming. So you have a pretty good idea of what you're going to get in terms of terrain and sort of the event style. WarGamesCon, uh, for those who don't recognize the name, that is the original Bell of Lost Souls tournament. So that has been around since at least fifth edition, might be slightly older than that. So it has a long history, but it is a very much a throwback tournament, and that it still uses battle points. So it's a very different crowd, and um, but to have both on the same weekend, I don't know. That's going to I, I, I not something want to bet against either of them at this point. Yeah, um, knowing my personal preference, I will most likely go to Lone Star Open over. War Games Con, but that's because of the fact that simply the FLG tag, I know it's an FLG event and I know how the scoring is going to work. Yeah. yeah, that's one thing we forgot to talk about, about the uh, Warhammer World team event. Ah, yes, that one. It's I can pull it up really quick because I know for a fact it was using the 
20 to zero differential scoring. So we talked about that at length in the previous uh, episode. We talked about the Las Vegas team tournament. And that's also when we had you guys back uh, from your experience. And so they actually laid out the 020 system. So you can start getting used to that and even try it in your own local meta. And Mm -hmm. um, yeah, be interesting to see how all that plays out at this point. But um, it's a pretty neat system. Once they got once they got the hang of it, it took a little while the first couple times. Yeah. So for for layman's terms, um, if your if the victory points difference is anywhere from zero to ten, it is a draw for just the game. So ten ten. And then after that, it's every seven points, it shifts the scale back and forth. So like 11 to 17 is an 11, 9, 18 to 24, and so on and so forth. All the way up until it's a 74 plus difference is a 20 to 0 score for that player's game. So, and then they clarified for the round, for the actual team winning, if the overall score between everyone's combined totals is anywhere from 43 to 80 points. That team, one team wins the round and gets two points for like the Swiss pairing stuff, 30 to 42. It is a draw and each team gets a point. And if your total is zero to 37, you get zero points. So they actually make it a, like how I've heard it before where, oh yeah, no, you go into your opponent so they don't get anything. Yeah, it's definitely rewarding the highest margin of victory, which I guess where I was on the fence about this in the past was you're you're incentivized to run up the score. And that was my problem when I saw this in other GW games. And I was like, that's not a lot of fun. It's not, you know, for your opponent just to get you know, Rick rolled. But on the other hand, if you have very competitive players on both sides of the fence there, the idea is that winning isn't one thing. How much, how many points, you know, I can go into a matchup knowing I'm probably going to lose, but I can go, okay, how many points can I help my team with by only losing by, say, 12 points, which case then I get, I still get nine points towards the victory. My opponent only gets 11 as opposed to just giving up 20 points for the max win, which is what the issue was with the Las Vegas team tournament was just win-loss. It was either, didn't matter if you win by one or 20, 100 points. It's got full points. So. Yeah, so it's definitely something that now that we can actually find access to this scoring sheet might be worth giving a try on a few games to actually see if it's any better than just doing straight match play. Absolutely. So also kind of see what kind of lists come out. And that's always been one of the criticisms too, is that people come out with these odd skew lists to, for that format in front of me. It's like, well, um, you know, nothing changes the meta quicker than a change in the missions. So. Yeah. Cause I know with, anything that's vehicle heavy, so coven heavy, dark Eldar, orcs, whatever. Alright, bring it down. And 
as long as you can kill all the vehicles, you might be able to steal the game away. Yeah, but you also can think of other, you know, like um, Dark Angels suddenly become, you know, the whole idea of the armies of all Terminators that sit on a objective all day, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. I don't like the sound <laughs> of that. No. Hey, uh, Robert, you forgot to mention the new orcs getting new models. Oh, it's just the combat patrol box. It's literally, they're releasing the Defcopters by themselves. They're releasing the boys by themselves. Um, they're releasing the War Boss and Mega Armor by himself. And they're also finally releasing the um, normal War Boss by himself because he used to be tied up in a box of knobs. Mm. He was like, it was some kind of like specialty Warband box that was like $75. It gave you a War Boss and five knobs. Good. I'll kind of breaking those up a little bit. Yeah, I I never even built the knobs out of that <laughs> box. <laughs> hey, listeners, this is Raymond with the Extreme Honest Podcast here to talk to you about KR cases. If you're like me and you're constantly looking for that better way to store your armies, then look no further than KR cases. That's right. This is the foam company known for their soft blue foam in the cardboard cases. They're great way to mix and match whenever you're heading out for that next tournament and just swap out those boxes and no need to worry about switching the foam in and out they're sturdy the boxes help protect your models and if you when you order they come fast the order is right and for a better price than the other guy so go to krcases.com and when you place your order, be sure to mention the Exterminatus podcast. All right, so take a look at your ITC top 10. So again, today is the 27th. We have four days left in 2021. It looks something like this in 10th place from Goonhammer, James Keeling. 9th place, Nick Nadavati from The Art of War. Friend of the show, Colin McDade in 8th place. Anthony Vanella in 7th. From England, Malik Amin Rubio in 6th. Jack Harpster in 5th, also from Art of War. 4th place, uh, Manny Chima from England. Sean Naden in 3rd from Team America. Brad Chester, also from Art of War, in 2nd place. And rounding out the uh, trap house down in Florida, John Lennon in 1st place with 1,431 points. So almost 160 points separating 1st to 10th place. So really look at that. Top four is really what it's going to come down to for um, LVL. But as we get a little closer, we'll get into that in more depth, break down that for you. And of course, our wonderful predictions for who will win LVL. And boy, we've been pretty accurate the last three years. So no pressure, Robert. Ray and I have been good at this. So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I'm, I just spun a roulette wheel. I'm going to say John Lennon. Mr. Golden Boy. Yeah, we'll go back and bring back the uh, the old fan favorite, which is the pressure quotient, which is a we look at the win ratio of players on day two of GT and major events. That usually determines who are the better players at that point. So who wins under the toughest of competitions based on the Swiss pairing method. And um, we've been pretty good, pretty accurate over the past few years. So we'll see what happens from there. This year, though, it's been interesting to see because you can see some top players that don't even have, for example, uh, Richard Siegler doesn't even have five events or six events yet. So he's nowhere near the top 10, yet he could easily 
make a good run at it at LVO simply because he was, well, he took all three GW events in the U.S. Open circuit. Yeah, so it's definitely up in the air. Um, I know my initial pick is John Lennon and then Sean Nain. He has my vote just just in case. <laughs> yeah, so I mean... Uh, it's still going to be a, a very competitive field. Looking forward to covering it in greater depth. And um, as we get a little closer to the countdown, so with our last couple moments here in the, this week's episode, any thoughts for preparation for LVO, part of our ongoing series here? Um, nothing new from me. I've actually, I actually realized I look at the time and go, oh, I haven't even touched a paintbrush today. I need to do that. Yeah, my advice uh, something. So now we're getting into the nitty gritty where you need to get as many practice games as we can, which we talked about last episode or maybe two episodes ago. So this is kind of a goofy thing, but it's one of those you don't want to be caught by surprise is getting the habit of with your army. Now you have your army set. You can be going to a lot of games. How do you get it from point A to point B? So look, taking a good look at your uh carrying of the army, you know, uh, display board, is it required, not required, that sort of thing. All your knickknacks, do you have to make two trips from each table? That's not going to work there. Tables are too far apart, too many players. I mean, the difference being on table 41, the table 304, and that's a real, I mean, it's easily a 200-yard walk. So, <laughs> yeah, so yeah. being able to carry everything and uh, is a key thing. And uh, so just remember, how do I keep all my stuff together? So it's dumb stuff like cards and rulers and dice and wound markers and secondary cards. And for me, my magic clipboard, which has all my cheat sheets on there. So I don't have to look everything up my codices. Oh, yeah. Everybody complains about rules bloat. How do I carry the four codices I need to play my game? So Yeah. Uh, speaking of that I might have you make one for my orc because <laughs> um, yeah, that'd be really helpful. And if you want well, for one for yourselves at home, it's actually real simple. I just simply, if you remember days of yore, if you open the back page of your codas, codex, it would have all the stats of every unit and it would have all the weapon stats all on one page. So I simply put that into a spreadsheet doesn't matter if I have one of, of each uh, unit in my army or five of them. The stats don't really don't change. So I have them in nice thin, long lines and I can reference it back. And then I start making, as I play each practice game, I make additional notes. So for example, I have markers now next to each unit entry. Okay, if I'm playing a matchup and let's say I'm playing, I'll play pick on Robert for a second. Robert's playing his work buggy list, I know mm, it's a alpha strike style army. I got to be careful. Which units do I want to put in reserve? I've already got it on my cheat sheet. I already know these are the ones, and this is how many CP is going to cost to max maximize the most units in deep strike. So when he alpha strikes me, he's only going to get half my army tops. Whereas if I'm playing Ray, and I know he's probably going to bring Thousand Suns or some other psychic nuisance like Ray Knights, <laughs> got to shift things around a little bit and you know position things differently for especially to defend against uh, de that you know gate of infinity type alpha strike so how do I spread things out so I have a couple notes 
based on who my opponent is and what highlighted units are important. And probably the last thing I have at the bottom of the sheet is I have phases. So I have, and they're not all just the textbook ones. So I have command phase, movement phase, end of the movement phase, shooting, a psychic shooting. Believe it or not, I do have a psychic column for some strange reason, but I don't have it in my army. <laughs> um, charge phase and um, combat phase. And I have written down there stratagems or key abilities I need to do in that phase. So before I move on to the next phase, I thumb through it. And I go, okay, end of the movement phase. What am I supposed to do? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Heal my Talos. You know, make sure those things are done at the end. These things or the Mandrakes can go into reserve. Those little reminders so I don't get tripped up. Now, after playing a couple dozen games, you probably remember those, but having them there as a reminder is a huge help in flipping through the deck of stratagem cards. Really, those cards are only there for your opponent. I'm playing the stratagem on this unit. What does that do? Here, you can read the card. I'm going to keep playing, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I know I, I've gotten really good about my remembering my stratagems verbatim and yesterday that ran into me like oh, that, oh no i i spent one too many cps on what that stratagem does but i mean it was inconsequential to be honest because i still lost a plane because of it i just know how sloppy i can get you know you, you play by intent but did you express it to your opponent so that's where i'd like use the cards to this stratagem is being played on this unit and lay it there and that way you don't keep track of things easier. But having it all there just helps keep you... There's no prize for having it all memorized. You know, it just all it does is you don't want to flip through your codex to find it. And if you do, then get those like little sticker bookmarks so you can... I've seen some players do that really, really well. Like they even have them color-coded so they know exactly what they're looking for. It, for me, just having it on the one sheet on my clipboard makes it a lot easier. So, yeah, <laughs> I'll I'll do my best to have bigger than a peanut for a brain. <laughs> <laughs> well, the other uh, encouragement um, I can say is it's they did a study years ago on chess players, and whereas in some physical sports you need a certain genetic makeup to be successful you know somebody my height is not going to be successful at basketball <laughs> just i think there's only one nba player is ever my size that actually made the all-star team <laughs> so uh, same thing with hockey my hockey career got derailed pretty quickly when somebody my size uh cannot skate at 90 miles an hour so <laughs> you do my size is not a power forward type build <laughs> it would not last in the nhl too long good news is when they looked at chess masters it had nothing to do with genetic makeup it solely came down to practice how many games they played and the difference between a chess master and a uh, grand champion or whatever the next qualification above that is they knew what was coming because they could recognize the moves ahead of time and so they didn't use as much brain power to figure out the moves so relating that back to 40k Take a look at Goonhammer. They've listed out all the popular net lists. So if you can practice against the net lists and you see it coming, you're in pretty good shape. If you're playing a list you've never seen before, you're expending three times as much energy uh, to play that army. And that just over five, six games wears you down. And that's, that's really the big difference. <laughs> 
And after that, it's just plain execution. So, more than a peanut, be the cashew. Yep. <laughs> no, no. At this rate, I'm going to try and be the freaking walnut. <laughs> so, any other um, legumes or nuts that we want to talk about before we wrap up the show this week? <laughs> No, nah, now nah, we can skip over the Tau rules from 21st. They don't need to be talked about because it's I apologize. Tau. I thought we talked about them last week. Um, it was mainly um, it because the rules that were on the 21st were mainly in reference to the battle suits being able to fire in close combat. So we're talking about Monka and Kanye. Kanye? I thought we talked about those. I apologize. The well, no, we did talk about Monk Ka and Kao okay. Yun, but the the um there was an article released on the twenty first. Um, well, that talks about the battle that suits. talks about the battle suit rules. I totally missed that episode. Oh my goodness! So, just a quick synopsis: um, battle suits they can now fire in close combat, and they. Basically, it's if you're in engagement range with one unit, you can only shoot at that unit. You don't get to shoot out and away like how vehicles do. I do remember this. So basically, we're going to make them give them all the benefits of shooting without making them monstrous creatures. So they have these new rules. Yeah, I do remember that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And multi tracker sixes are an additional hit. You can only have one multi tracker per model. Um, target lock. They don't get light cover. Uh, strike and fade. Classic shoot, jump, shoot, jump, baby. Um, drop threat acquisition. Basically the same kind of idea that I've seen before where um, crisis suits, well, battle suits come in from deep strike. You get to re-roll the entire hit roll. If it's a unit of four more battle suits, like let's say broadsides, then it's three instead of two. The one thing that gets me is the picture in the article has two crisis suits, a broadside, a storm surge, probably a commander, and then it's not a riptide, but also a storm surge. As far as I know, the storm surge was never a battle suit. Um, I thought uh, it was cons- considered one. Um, give me one second. Because I couldn't remember. Because I know it was the battle suits that got to be saved by drones. Um, okay. at that point, it was. <laughs> This is probably just a stock image that they had, and they just decided to go with it because this had basically everything. It just so happens that it's got a couple things on there that don't have to do with it. I mean, it's got, uh, I forget the name of it, but it's got two of the flyers up too, and they're definitely not battle suits. Well, yeah, I. So I just, well, yeah, I, I it's, think in this it's case, just one of those. Yeah, I think, I'm just saying, I think in this case, they just went with an image that had multiples uh, models that have the rules, and it just so happened to also have a storm surge in that picture. 
because I just double checked and at least two storm surges by the one all the way in the back. I mean, if we're going to count something all the way back there, do you want to count the fire warrior that's mostly in the picture? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll count it. <laughs> one fire warrior can be a battle suit for 150 <laughs> points. Yeah. Nah, it's uh, it's it just so happens to be in the picture. It doesn't have to do with it. Okay, it was. I mean, if they give Storm Surges the battle suit keyword, then cool. If if Savior protocols are still the same, that's gonna suck. <laughs> I'd be curious what they do with it. Yeah. Also, you know, how are they gonna change Savior protocols? Do they say the same? I don't know. So. But aside from that, there's nothing else that I can really think of. That's pretty much it for now. All right, gentlemen. Any big plans for New Year's Eve for any of you? Working. I really. Okay. I get to work that day, so I'll yep. come home. I'll stay up as late as I can, but I'll probably be dead tired by eight. New Year's Eve is always the night where I feel the oldest because I got put on like <laughs> one of the countdown shows, and they're they're playing all these like. Yeah, these were the big hits from the last year. And I'm like, I've never heard of any of these people. <laughs> who, are, who are these people? <laughs> oh, and here I thought you were going to say it's the hardest day for you to stay up late. Oh, that too. But it's that's pretty much part for the course. So, But I, you have to work that day as well. Uh, luckily, I finally got a New Year's Day off. Uh, so I'm excited about that because we have a house full of teenagers for New Year's Eve. And I'm responsible for breakfast New Year's Day. So. Fun. <laughs> Yay! Have fun with that. I will. Should be cool. Yeah, no. This will be my, like, fourth New Year's Eve working in a row. So, yeah. No party for me. I'm sorry to hear that, but in the meantime, uh, get as much hobbing as you can, as we are just a mere four weeks away from LPO at this point. So, we will keep you guys up to date on any changes at this point uh, we did not go over any tournaments because well over the Christmas holiday there were no GT or major events so in the meantime we will touch with you next week so my name's Eric I'm Raymond I'm and Robert. thank you for listening to the Exterminatus Podcast <laughs>